Well, if you would turn to Titus chapter 1, another one of the pastoral letters. And our script reading tonight will be the first four verses. So Titus chapter 1. Hear God's word. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Amen. I um, decided to jump 2 Timothy and and pick up Titus, primarily because chronologically it's next in Paul's letters. Uh, The pastorals are his last three letters. But 1 Timothy comes first of those last three, then Titus, and then 2 Timothy is his last letter. So just to kind of summarize the order of Paul's letters that we can pretty much get is he wrote Galatians first. Uh, So if you read widely, you'll get debates on these things, but I'm going to give you what I think is the case. So he wrote Galatians first. Uh, after his first missionary journey, before perhaps even on the way to the Council of Jerusalem. Uh, It's dealing with the same topic. Partly, I I believe that because he never mentions the Council of Jerusalem in Galatians, which since they dealt with the same issue his letter deals with, it seems like it would have made sense for him to um, address that. But at any rate, he goes on his second missionary journey and we find the letters of 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and 1 Corinthians. Um, The Thessalonians letters probably came fairly soon after he visited that town in his second missionary journey. Then he goes on his third missionary journey, and probably on that journey wrote 2 Corinthians and Romans. Uh, In Romans, it's clear he wrote it on that journey because he talks about traveling first to Jerusalem, and then he's going to hope to go to Spain. We'll look at that in a moment. And then he's imprisoned, and he's in his first Roman imprisonment. He writes four prison epistles, Philippians, Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians. So they were all written when he was from Rome, when he was imprisoned in Rome. Then he's released from prison in Rome and he writes 1 Timothy, traveling probably in Macedonia, sending a letter to Timothy at Ephesus. Then he's still uh, maybe moved from Macedonia into Greece, probably in Greece at this point. He writes a letter to Titus. And um, then once he's imprisoned a second time in Rome, that's when he writes his final letter of 2 Timothy. If we compare the pastoral epistles, we 
can readily see that First Timothy and Titus share a lot in common. Uh, he's concerned about the qualifications for elders, how to deal with false teachers and some of the different groups within the church. Uh, he um, discusses the character that the church should have. Uh, there are some distinctives. There's some unique portions. So look at Titus 3, verse 4. Here's a really clear Trinitarian gospel message. One person says it's the clearest of any in the New Testament. But we have in, in Titus 3, 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So here you have the work of all three members of the Trinity. Uh, the Father, who here in this case is referred to as God our Savior. Uh, the regeneration by the Holy Spirit and the, uh, bl- the blessings of grace poured out through Jesus Christ. There's a... Another passage that's notable, it's a, turn a chapter back in chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And for a small letter to have passages such as this makes it notable to certainly think about the book. But that second passage I read for you kind of segues nicely into one of the main themes of the book. While he's dealing with some of these other issues, one of the main repeated themes of the book is the call on God's people to live a godly life. Uh, even as we saw it there in those verses that, they, that we read, that he gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. And so he's going to emphasize that in this brief letter, the importance of demonstrating godliness in their lives and living that out among the people whom they live. It would be a, um, an encouragement to themselves. Of course, it's not a legalistic Pursuit, but it's the encouragement to live faithfully for the Lord and be encouraged by that. It would have been a testimony to their neighbors of the power of Christ in their lives. And so that's a, a, a dominant message in this book that we'll see uh, along with other things that he says as he goes through the writing of this. <clears throat> now, the, in an introduction to a book, we usually we talk about the place and the time of writing and the date of it. 
And if you, if you look at chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, you get a couple thoughts that are there that are helpful for us. He says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus uh, to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. <clears throat> so here we get a little indication of at least roughly where he is. He's probably in the um, nation of Greece, but he's going to make his way to Nicopolis. Nicopolis is a town on the western side of Greece uh, along the, um, uh, at the border of the Adriatic Sea. And uh, some conjecture that Paul is looking toward not just Rome, because I don't know that he would want to go back to Rome, though he will, but he's looking westward toward where he wants to go, which is Spain. And he had this in mind. And so he's asking Titus to come and meet him at Nicopolis, possibly with the idea that Titus could go with him uh, as one of his traveling friends to the western reaches of the Roman, the Roman Empire. And this mention of the other two that he was hoping to have, um, to sp- that Titus would speed on their way, could be connected to those who would come and uh, be with him. Uh, I want to have us go to uh, Romans to see this interest of Paul in going to Spain. So turn to Romans chapter 15. At verse 23. He writes, but now, so Romans 15, 23. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions... And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So we know that Rome, Romans was written in that third missionary journey, maybe towards the end of it as he's traveling back to Jerusalem with that contribution. And that's when he gets arrested and is sent to Rome. Uh, as I mentioned, after Rome, the Roman first Roman imprisonment, he's released, writes 1 Timothy. The, the date on this epistle is probably around 63 A.D., uh, he would be free a little while longer. He would be imprisoned again, probably 65, 66 A.D., and ex- executed uh, probably in 67 A.D. So his last letter would have been written in the neighborhood of 65, 66 A.D. So that would give him a couple years to potentially make that trip to Spain and possibly to take Titus with him. Now he's writing to this man, Titus. We don't find him mentioned anywhere in Acts. So we don't know where Paul met him. 
there are some who think he was a, like Paul in, in verse four, one verse four, talking about him as his true son in our common faith. There are some who conjecture that he's from Paul's uh, hometown in Syrian Antioch. Now, we don't know that. And, and maybe they have some good, good thoughts as to why that's the case. But at any rate, obviously, he met Titus somewhere. Uh, but he's not ever mentioned in the history in Acts. But we have um, a number of mentions about him, in uh, particularly in the Corinthian letters. So um, we're going to come to that in a minute. But the one thing I want to bring up first, turn to Galatians, if you would. And one of the mentions of Titus is in Galatians chapter 2. And in Galatians 2, and we'll begin at verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So before the um, Paul begins his ministry, he already has a relationship with Titus. Because uh, after his period of preparation, he was converted. There was a period of 14 years of preparation. Then Paul goes up to Jerusalem to confer with the apostles to be sure that his message that God had given to him was authentic. Uh, and he takes Titus with them. What's notable in this is both Titus's presence, but also the fact that he was not compelled uh, to circumcise Titus, even though he was a Greek. Now, what causes people such consternation about this fact is that, and I won't have you turn there, but in Acts 16.3, we're told Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. So there are those who just are outraged that Paul, on the one hand, refused to circumcise Titus because he was a Greek. And on the other hand, with Timothy, he did willingly circumcise him, even though and because he was a Greek. And people think, well, he's so inconsistent. Paul, make up your mind. But there's a very, very significant uh, difference between the two circumstances. In regard to Titus, the gospel was at stake. And Paul would never do anything to compromise the gospel. The message of Galatians is to stand up to the Judaizers and those who said that the Gentiles must become Jews to be Christians or fully Christian. And Paul would not, under any circumstances, compromise the gospel. And so he would rightly 
take his stand and say, no, the gospel is by received by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no work that needs to be done. It's faith in Christ. That's the gospel, the saving work of Christ received by faith. Whereas in the situation in uh, with Timothy, uh, it's a, a passage, the, the action is in, in a sense of fulfillment of the passage where Paul would say, I have become all things to all men, so that by all means I might win some. The issue with Timothy was not an issue of the gospel. It was a practical issue of opportunity. It was an issue of getting an opportunity to preach to the Jews without an immediate offense. If the gospel causes an offense, that's totally fine. But if we can, by our actions, uh, avoid an offense, then we ought to do that. And so it's, it's a dramatically different situation. Uh, it was the gospel was at stake with Titus. With Timothy, it was being considerate of Jewish hearers and not causing an immediate offense so as to prevent a gaining a hearing of the gospel. So where we find um, Titus mentioned a lot is in 2 Corinthians. So let me take you to some places there. Anyway, let's, if you would, turn to 2 Corinthians and we'll begin at um, chapter 2, verse 12. Clearly Titus became a very good, close friend and companion of Paul. And probably had been with him on his second missionary journey into the area of Corinth. And he's going to send him back there. So in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So he had sent Titus on ahead, and uh, when he got there, he didn't find him, and so he was disturbed. So uh, turn now, uh, this is all in 2 Corinthians. Turn to chapter 7, verse 5. <clears throat> 7, verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn. Fighting without and fear within. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Here he's in turmoil. And all of a sudden his friend walks through the door. I think many of us have had that kind of experience. You know when you know, you're in turmoil but then a friend comes in. Or a phone call or an email or a text or whatever. And it cheers you. Just their presence cheers you. Uh, so later on in verse 13, same chapter, it says, Therefore we are comforted, and besides our comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame, 
But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus proved true. So he had spoken well of the Corinthians and Titus uh, found that to be true. Uh, turn to chapter 8. There's a couple sections in there. 2 Corinthians 8, 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should com- complete among you this act of grace. Continue his ministry to the Corinthians. Uh, skipping, same chapter, down to verse 16. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. And then skip down to verse 23. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. So Titus is uh, this really close friend and companion of Paul. Uh, such that he, and he, he trusts him so he can send him to Corinth uh, before he returns. So Tim, Titus can minister. And then just one other passage I want to take you to before we think about where he's ministering is 2 Timothy Timothy 4.10. 2 Timothy 4.10. Titus was with Paul to the very end. And we we get a sense of that in this verse, 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas in love with his present world has deserted me. And gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. This appears to be, while Paul is in prison, in that second Roman imprisonment, that Titus went on a brief uh, evangelistic mission tour to Dalmatia. As I understand it, that's modern day Croatia. But at any rate, in that relatively... um, close region of the world um, that uh, he made that trip and uh, just assuming that he came back to be with Titus, uh, Titus came back to be with him to the very end. So he was Paul's brother, his partner and fellow worker, his son. So a close relationship, even though we don't know where exactly it began, but there's much about Titus in Paul's writings. So he sends the letter to Titus, who is on Crete. So we come back to Titus, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Paul writes, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Uh, The island of Crete, about 150 miles uh, long and anywhere from seven to uh, 35 miles wide is sa- sort of in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, <clears throat> south of the uh, region of Gray, Greece, kind of off a little bit. Uh, so it's, it's sitting there and um, we don't know where the church began in Crete. The, um, there were Cretans that were present at Pentecost. In Acts 2, it says, uh, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. They were there to witness Pentecost. They had gone to Jerusalem to be there for the, um, the celebration of Pentecost. And so 
assumption could be made that some of those be, were converted and <clears throat> went back to Crete to um, perhaps plant a church. Paul never had an extended ministry there, though he did land on Crete. Perhaps had contact, probably did have contact with the believers there. The account of his story is, uh, we have a little bit of time, so let's go there to read it. In Acts 27, maybe keep your finger in Titus because I'm going to come back to there. But um, in Acts 27, we have the story, Paul's a prisoner, he's on his journey from um, Caesarea um, to Rome for trial. And um, if we pick it up at verse 7, so Acts 27, verse 7, to pick up the story there. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off uh, Canidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lassie. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. And... um, Verse 13, now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to shore. Well, they didn't make it. They had a shipwreck and they landed there and Paul would have had contact with some of the people of the land. But we can't say that he actually had an extensive ministry in Crete. So he sends Titus there to set in order the things that needed to be set in order in Crete. And it would have been a challenge because if we're back in Titus, in verse 12, Paul says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. What a testimony to have that that's the kind of your lazy you're a glutton, and you're a liar. <clears throat> and um, that would have made ministry to those kind of people pretty difficult. It would have been a challenge. But Paul sent him there to establish the gospel on that island and to minister uh, the gospel of grace. So Titus faced that challenge, but he did so with the blessing of Paul and the instruction of Paul. And as this, we go through this letter, we'll see, again, some similarities to 1 Timothy in uh, another one of the faithful sayings, which we've encountered in some of these letters. Um, but to Titus is there, in, even though it's a difficult place, 
uh, to plant the gospel. And uh, it, we can appreciate the challenge before him, and we can appreciate uh, the mission that he was given by Paul. And Paul clearly trusted him uh, to do the work that needed to be done. So it gives us the opportunity as we go through this letter to again be reminded of the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the calling to live a godly life and to learn from Paul's letter to Titus of how we can conduct ourselves in, in this way as well. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word and all that we can learn from it. We pray that as we embark on this uh, study of the letter to Titus, that we will be helped and encouraged in our own walk with you and our own understanding of uh, what it means to lead a godly life and and grow in our understanding of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it might richly um, fill our lives. And uh, may you, Father, be glorified. Bless us as we enter this coming week, and may we do so with uh, the presence of your power and grace in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.